Hello and welcome to Kiss My Black Side with me, Brenda Imanis. This is a celebratory look at art from a black perspective. In this show, we talk to some brilliantly talented creatives who have made their mark in the world of dance, film, fashion, music, theatre and the visual arts. We discuss their work and inspiration and then we get to do a little deep dive on issues related to their specific art form. And as we're talking, we figured it would be nice to end each program with a specially commissioned spoken word tribute to our chosen topic, which in this episode is music. This podcast is produced by Free Spirit Productions Limited and brought to you by Sadler's Wells. Sadler's Wells is one of the world's leading dance organizations and in 2022, they're celebrating work by black dance artists with Wells Seasoned, a year-long program of live performances, dance films and more from black choreographers, dancers and artists of color. Well, insightful conversations with formidable creative talent is what we're all about in this podcast series. And in this edition, we're in the company of two awesome women in music from different sides of the musical spectrum, but who I know have a lot in common. Our first guest is the multi-award winning pop star, Emily Sande. Born and raised in Scotland, her unique voice and eclectic musical taste has seen her embraced by both mainstream and urban audiences. Constantly evolving as a woman and an artist, her latest album is probably Emily at her most confident and authentic. Our other guest is someone I've admired not just for the power of her vocal cords. Nadine Benjamin is an award-winning opera soprano who has performed as a soloist at the English National Opera, Glyndebourne, the Royal Opera House and L'Opera de Lyon, to name a few. Nadine is also a certified coach and was the founder of Opera in Colour, showcasing diversity in opera. She's also the founder of Everyone Can, a mentoring scheme supporting others in building their dreams. So much to talk about. A Kiss My Black Side welcome to you both. Now, Emily, I'm pretty sure we're grabbing you when you're exhausted because you're just ending a tour. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I've just come off tour. We um, we just finished the Brighter Days tour, which is, you know, for the new album, let's say, for instance. And it was a wonderful time. It was the first time I'd tried different things and sang just with the piano. So tired, but I feel yeah very proud of the tour. It was really nice to reconnect. I've said in, in that I think this this album finds you at your most confident and most most authentic. Am I telling the truth? <laughs> yeah, I'd say I'd say so. I mean, I definitely feel my most confident and um, truthful, you know, personally. And I think that just reflects in the music, hopefully. And it's the most independent process I've ever had. And I think that's allowed me to, you know, truly be myself and just make decisions based on instinct. Now you're in the music business, so how much does the mu- the business side of the music industry get in the way of the creative process? I mean, hugely because, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot actually, because you are stepping into a business which is, you know, attempting to contain and present something which has nothing to do with business you know it's music it's your soul it's emotions but you know they need to work hand in hand for it to be successful you know to to reach the people that you intend to reach 
but it does get in the way at some points. Um, but I guess you just try and minimise that as much as possible. Is the performing side the bit that you really enjoy the most? Um, it's difficult. I really need to split my year. Like six months in the studio is perfect. I love being in hibernation. I love being in that very vulnerable state where you're pulling these ideas and trying to channel, um, you know, something beautiful. But then after a while, you start to think, am I just doing this in vain? You know, isn't there a reason to do this? Am I not doing it for people? And then that's when it's so amazing to get on stage and feel the adrenaline of performance and, and really see real people. Because until you get out there, you know, it's essentially just numbers so when you actually see these are human beings souls and through this music we're we're connecting for this incredible night so I think I need both because obviously when you perform too much you can burn yourself out so I think you need yeah a balance now Nadine having seen you perform I just know how much you relish that side of the business um but, but I also love your story so Share with us, how does a young woman from South London, brought up by a single parent in Brixton, find her way to opera? Um, sheer determination and light, and as Emily will know herself, you know, this kind of artistic world um, is about sharing one soul. And I think the more we get into this process of sharing one soul, you get more and more courageous. It gets more and more authentic. So I suppose when I first started, it was just... It was like I had this calling and it was asking me to share a gift that only I can share because I believe that everybody has a gift and each person's gift is only what they can share, not what everybody else can share. And um, I had to, I just had this calling in my heart, I was brought up in the church as well. So I just had this calling in my heart that I had to sing, I had to heal with my voice, it had to be a part of the process of what I did in life. And then um, I ended up in working in corporate world and in the banking world and totally loving that. But the, again, the calling kept coming back, like get to your work, your actual work. <laughs> but, um, and then so that, you know, led me into singing opera. And, you know, that nugget was left by a singing, a music teacher at school called Mrs. Lake. And she had planted that seed from when I left secondary school and it just grew in me. I didn't go to a conservatoire or anything, but I just had this natural passion and natural talent to sing. Now you're someone who, as well as being a brilliant performer, helps other people find their dreams in terms of your coaching. I mean, I've, I know how good you are because I've, 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 I've had the, the benefit of your of your great work. But it wasn't always that easy, was it? There was resistance, and not everybody believed that a black woman like you should be in opera, did they? No, um, and I think you know it's it's it, that has been a journey in itself because I believe that that initially played on my self esteem of how I believe that I could show up in the world. And, um, oh my God, it's been nearly 22 years now since I trained as, as an NLP coach. <laughs> when I think back on it, it's like 22 years ago. But then most recent, about in the last 10 years, I, I qualified as a certified high-performance coach. And then really recently, um, in the last year, I was certified as a physical intelligence coach. And for me, I needed all of those things to help transform my own life. And it hasn't been until the last kind of, I don't know, five, six years that I've really 
felt really, again, strongly about sharing that side of myself, that empowerment. I'm all about empowerment. I call myself the queen of empowerment. I love seeing people do well. That makes me, gives me so much joy. <laughs> um, so I love sharing that side of them. And I think empowerment goes into kind of five or six sections. It's about your spiritual empowerment. It's about your physical empowerment. It's about your emotional empowerment, your spiritual empowerment, your social empowerment, and you know your relational empowerment. So it's all those sections, and I think we go into those um, those those quadrants at different times of our lives, and we have to search them out and really work on them, and then we move on to the next one. And that's how the journey of my life has been over the last twenty two years, and I feel that that's given me my strength. Now, speaking of calling, because. Emily, if you'd followed your first path, you studied clinical medicine, specializing in neuroscience. So you could have gone a completely different path. So how did you navigate and how did you get over the resistance of anybody telling you you couldn't do it and and find yourself in music and then choose what style of musician you wanted to be? Well, you know, everything Nadine was saying there really resonates because it, it really is that, you know, you know, you have this thing within you that you need to share and, it was really against my character completely. I was a very shy kid, you know, found it very difficult to talk to anybody, to communicate, to express who I was. Um, but music gave me this, you know, expression and this voice and this power, which really I knew was, um, you know, a gift that I, I wanted to share. And I had this longing to sing in front of lots of people, even though talking to one person was difficult. There's this, you know, message or something that I knew I had to do and really wanted to do. And, you know, but then you have parents, I'm in this tiny Scottish village and a dream of becoming, you know, a pop star in London is quite far-fetched. So everybody wants you to be sensible. And obviously, you know, school was big in our house. So, And that's the safer route, you know, you maybe it's a little bit, you know, harder, you study the exams, you pass and that gives you a career. And, and I think I was in split mind, but I always knew deep within, as Nadine was saying, that music was what I was supposed to be doing. But you all, I I always felt like I needed this fallback, well, not fallback plan because I did love medicine, but I needed the security of it. And it really wasn't until I was releasing my third album where I didn't feel split because I hated feeling not. That I wasn't given 100% of myself to either of the decisions. So it was really after the third album where I really felt like, okay, I'm a musician and I can finally say that and accept that within myself. Now, music has given you a very successful career, but it's also helped you as a black woman discover who you are, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, music really was my um educator as a kid I didn't really have many black women to look up to to really teach me about what it means to be a black woman or just you know even things like how to do your hair all of those things I was really learning myself up in Scotland and um that's what I loved about music hearing uh, Nina Simone for the first time Lauren Hill Jill Scott I was really learning what it meant to be a black woman through music and then also my dad is from Zambia so hearing music from his homeland you feel something within your soul that brings you home even though you're you're across the world now Nadine um being a black woman in opera especially when you started must have felt a bit like the road less traveled I know things have changed and I've seen some amazing talent come behind you but you set up opera in color tell us a bit about that oh so the 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 actual it was originally called opera in color but it's now called everybody can and it's an everybody can mentor scheme and um and opera company and i set it up because um many of the greats in in our lives you know had mentors 
They had people who were at their backs and by their sides, and they really wished to share that part of themselves with somebody who was coming up. And what I noticed for me in the opera world was that wasn't available. It just wasn't available. And I realized if I believed in it, and you know, I'm sure all of us here will, will agree, if you wish to lead, you have to go first. So I was like, what have I got that I can offer? Well, I've got all my corporate side of myself that I could offer. And I had already trained as an NLP person. And I thought, let's share that. I can share that. And then in time, I will get all the information I need to support my journey as a, as a soprano. And so I just thought it was really important to give back. And then the opera company, you know, somebody said to me, I'd never played Desdemona in Otello. And, um, you know, I remember it quite clearly. She said, you'll never play it because you're black, you know, and the story's about a black man who hurts a black woman, a white woman, and da-da-da-da, and it's about this. And I was like, actually, no, it's a story, actually, about post-traumatic stress and domestic violence, you know. And, you know, when we go into the humanity of the story, we it can be played by any colour. So I was just like, actually, I'm going to put on Otello and I'm going to play this Demona <laughs> just to make my point. <laughs> and that's exactly what we did. Um, and we are this year doing Norma um, in, um, on the 9th of November. And that's going to be um, at St. James's in Piccadilly. Um, and uh, we're, we're really looking forward. So that'll be our third production in the last kind of seven years. That's absolutely brilliant. It really is inspiring. But what, um, I mean, there's so much good news in, in watching, particularly women like you both in music. It, it makes you think that things are rosy. But late last year, um, Black Lives in Music, their deep dive and research, and they found that there is still systemic racism in the music industry and Black women in particular were disproportionately affected. What's been both your experiences in terms of racism, be it microaggressions, be it glass ceilings, be it being told that you can't do this kind of music because yeah I think with systemic racism it is so difficult to put your finger on when it's happening but you feel it is happening I think there's there's often an atmosphere in which you do find yourself being the only person of color there and this kind of want for everyone around you to feel anything you should be grateful for whereas if I was a white man I could really you know demand well this needs to be done this day in that way and not feel guilty just as a woman and as a black woman that I'm asking too much I don't know if that's just being a woman I don't know if that's I, I don't know you know I can I can never really finger point was it racism was it sexism whatever it was but I think the way I've tried to get around it is being very you know, the only thing you truly have control of within the industry is who you work with and what team is around you. So I think it's really trying to get as many people that are empathetic to what you may be going through, whether they're white or black, and building a team with that understanding and consciousness. Oh, gosh, I really agree with you, Emily. I just think, you know, that it's there, whether we like it or not, and it's very covert as well. It's not mm. overt. So as Emily was saying, it's so subtle. And, you know, and especially since Black Lives Matter, my whole thing has been just to have uncomfortable conversations if I see it, because normally I would have let those conversations go and just make a mental note. But now I lovingly and gently question and challenge um, and also make it a question that is 
peace that comes from pro-peace and not anti-anything you know so so it invites people into a conversation with me that doesn't bring about defensiveness and I think that's really important for our industry to think of race and allyship about how we really work together in that way Um, Mm. and um, I really had to look at my part in it as well so what what had I bypassed to kind of feel more comfortable and really come out of that space and make myself really uncomfortable. And I, at the end of the day, I think I'm looking at humanity and I wish to meet a person as a person. And that's got to be my first point of call. That's really interesting. And, and speaking of uncomfortable conversations, because I'm surprised I'm even having to bring this up because about the intersectionality of being a black woman. I like, as we record this podcast, only recently, I think it was this weekend, I read that it hit the headlines that Dame Kelly Holmes has recently said that she feels that she can now finally breathe because she's come out and confirmed that she's gay. I mean, she was reluctant before because of all the negativity, the response she felt she was going to get for being authentically who she is. Mm. And I can't believe we're in 2022 and one of our most successful athletes in the UK has felt that she's had to hide that past of herself. Now, Emily, Mm. I know you made the decision recently to come out and and Nadine you've just married you got married recently to your wife tell me how it's been for you both you know making the announcement that I was with my partner felt so natural you know I never felt like oh I needed to make a statement or kind of share anything I never felt the pressure to share anything because it was only till I fell in love where I just felt I wanted to share. This is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, Yes, she's a woman, but more about it being we're in love. And I've always wanted to be to follow my heart through everything. I tried to do that through my music and my life. So it was really incredible, the response and, you know, the acceptance and love that um, that kind of post received. and I think often it's it's through your experiences you create mental blocks within you. And I think, yes, half of it is society. We have a long way to go until, um, you know, love is truly accepted. But I think half of it, or if, if not 30% of it, is within your mind. If you have had experiences in childhood where you felt you couldn't be yourself or you just see how society works and how dangerous it is in many places for um, people in same-sex relationships. So it's... Um, I can definitely, I feel so happy for for Dame Kelly, you know, just to see her joy and the feeling of being yourself and not having to hide anything is really, truly liberating. Yeah, I agree with you as well. Again, Emily, I mean, I think for for myself, um, I got severely, severely bullied and when I was in primary school and in secondary school for being gay. So um, for me, my fear came out of, well, if this is how I'm going to get treated at this point in my life, how is it going to be for the rest of the world? Oh <laughs> <laughs> that was really scary. You know, it was really, really scary. And also, you know, there is that thing of being pinpointed that you can't play in opera, you can't play a lead if you're a lesbian, you know, at that time when I was first coming up, you know, so there was a lot of fear for me around being accepted. Um, mm. Now, just like Emily just said, I'm so in love. This, you know, my wife is, you know, she's, 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 a, she's a gardener. She's like, sort <laughs> the earth. she's like, you know, she deals with the land, very centered, very calm. 
and you know just supports me in all that I do and wishes me to be the best that I can be but I'm not gonna for me I'm not I can't possibly downsize how afraid I was I was petrified I was terrified mm-hmm. and I did come out initially and then I went back in and I married a man and you know and I had a completely different experience and you know and then I realized that this just wasn't the right frequency for me and so my I suppose for me it's all been about coming into myself rather than coming out to the public coming into myself being settled in myself recognizing that I'm born this way this is how I am it doesn't make me any different from anybody else if we're going to go straight into humanity um and to celebrate and champion the fact that this is the part of me that I'm, I'm I'm here to share to share and when we talk about intersectionality I'm gay I'm I'm neurodiverse you know I can I come from a really you know poverty background you know I didn't go to university you know that you know I've got a disability there's loads of stuff for me that really comes into intersectionality my color I'm a woman (laughs) thing is is that we could go on forever but as Emily's just said and I think it's really important that we highlight this you know we are in charge we're not in control because none of us are in control but we are in charge And it is down to us to be responsible and to be accountable to our own behaviours and to our own thoughts. I know that's not easy all the time. And I'm not going to downplay anybody who's challenged at this point and moment. But what I do know from all the coaching and everything that I've done, that it is the way we think and not just the way they think, it's the words that we use also. Mm. So we have to be really mindful of how we're speaking to ourselves and what we really think about ourselves in the world. So that said, what would you, if you, if you're speaking to your younger selves and to young women looking at you with awe, because that's not all they can do about their careers in music, what advice would you both give? How would you tell them to do things differently or would you? Just for them to think about who's your team. Who's that person that you can call up at 3 a.m. in the morning and say, this isn't going okay? Who's that person that when you're feeling a little bit wobbly, you bust yourself with and say, I'm having this really not very good thinking. Can you put me on the right road again? You know, but also the team around you that champions you, that celebrates you, that you can go and have fun with because we so forget to have fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're so serious about, you know, what we need to do and doing the art really well and being creative you know that we forget to just have this what I call rest and restore time and that's just as important as the work time um so yeah I would I would really um I would really you know kind of invite the younger generation to be inside your heart more and to live from your heart because I think when we really live from our heart, that's where our dreams are really found and made into reality. Now, I know mm. both of you don't know, never forget how to have fun. I've seen you both have fun. And thank <laughs> God for that. Most of my, some fond memories of mine is having fun with you too. But yeah. I, I know it's easy to, to be moved by other people's definition of success, but um, you have awards coming out your ears, both of you, mantelpiece is full. But how do you personally define your success? What does the success mean to you both? Oh, I mean, I'm going to sound very cliche here, but it, it truly is happiness. You know, you search for everything. You think as soon as I get that award, I'll be happy. And as soon as I get this album to do what I want, I'll be happy then. And then you get there and you realize it's just insatiable. It just keeps 
this longing to find that place where you'll finally be content. And I think, yeah, happiness. And I do feel that, you know, being in love just feels fantastic. And I feel like once you've been on the right path and, and like you're saying, Nadine, there that you let your heart lead you. I think that's the only time you'll you'll get where your heart's supposed to get. So I think happiness and and love, you know, <laughs> that's what now finally at this age, I realize that's what success is. Yeah. And I think for me, success is really about finding peace. And some days peace for me is literally I need to rest for the day and I need to stay in bed and watch Netflix. Mm. So I think I have different forms of success. I think it's important to recognize that you have 24 hours. And I'm speaking like this because I'm 22 years in recovery. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I'm in recovery from alcoholism for 22 years. I'm sober 22 years. And if there's anything that I've learned is at the beginning, I had to take it sometimes 10 minutes at a time in my day when I started. And now I just, I live into the 24 hours. And I think mm. that's been the motive most part. And if I can find peace in that 24 hours, and for me, that also includes love, um, then I'm the happiest person in the world. If I ask you instinctively to tell me the most memorable moment of your career, what comes to mind immediately? Oh, um... Yeah, I'd say the Olympics just because it was such a such an event and I went through a lot of motions to get on that stage. And I felt proud, you know, to represent, yes, I'm a black woman. Yes, I'm, you know, I've grown in Scotland. I've been here. Just the things that I've loved being, you know, growing up in the UK. Yes, it's not perfect. We have a long way to go. But I do feel lucky to be in a place where there is still room for expression. Yeah, I, I suppose performing at three of the most amazing opera houses Royal Opera House, Glyndebourne and um, English National Opera like all those yeah. three being as a soloist that was like one of my dream my next dream is the Met so that I'm coming after that next yeah. but, um, but but also what we did recently actually with Emily and Misha Misha Paris I mean you know we were on Commonwealth Day we were at um, Westminster Abbey and we were singing in front of the royal family and <laughs> just hearing these women and I you know I've you know I've met um Emily online but I never oh I'd met you once face to face hadn't I but just yeah. to be with two iconic women who I love and admire and respect for me I just felt like I was in such amazing company it really reminded me why I do what I do that's brought oh. goosebumps to me because I just know what I was like I just know you know what this has been a truly special conversation for me and I, I knew it was I had no doubt this is going to be brilliant but I want to do one of my favorite parts of the program which is when we play past the baton and I'm going to ask you to tell me who has inspired you it could be someone from the past or someone currently you think is worth our audiences knowing about I mean, I have to say, you know, it's hearing that story, Misha Paris, she's an incredible woman and I've only really gotten to know her. I mean, at, um, at that show was the first time we were in a dressing room together. So we started to get talking and she was just giving me hours of advice. She's like, and to have, um, you know, a woman who's had so much success, a black woman passing down that wisdom there's no better source of wisdom to be had. So I just, and, and she's so fun and she just has this energy and passion for life. So she's definitely inspiring me all the time. Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm going to agree with Emily there as well. And I really meant what I said, like the both of them just together in one space, us talking to each other, singing. It was just, that was just magical. And it, you'd, I'd seen both of their careers in the past, but also yourself, Brenda. People normally do this to me, but I never thought I would be in the position to do it to someone else. But it's true. Like you have been somebody who's been on the BBC. You know, I know you're not 
there anymore, but you've been on the BBC, you've been a face that we recognise internationally, not just, mm. you know, nationally, but internationally all over the world as this broadcaster, really successful, so knowledgeable, so intelligent, crossing mm. all boundaries, like every single one of them. And for me, that was really important because I felt as an opera singer, that was important. That was the the, 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 the path I wish to take to cross internationally, globally, you know, mm. so to see someone walking into all these different worlds for me was really, really important to have in front of me. So thank you for that, that, that I really mean that. Let me say to the yes. audience, I have not paid her to say that and I now have a tear <laughs> in my eye. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you both so, so much. We've come to the end. So I just want to say this has been a brilliant, cosy, creative conversation. We end the programme with a specially commissioned spoken word contribution by Flow Poet, inspired by our music theme. A big thank you to Flow Assist Natalie Stewart from the Flow Spoken Word Vortex for sourcing these amazing spoken word artists for us. This poem is called Music is a Poem by Alchemy. Enjoy everyone and thank you for listening to Kiss My Black Side, brought to you by Sadler's Wells. Ciao for now. Music is poetry, growing like the seeds planted by my ancestry. Close your eyes and see just how it moves me. The right keys open up hearts like surgery. Music is medicine. Its influence is second to none. Instrumental in the healing of the nation when it hits you, feel no pain. Just rocking and rolling, bodies quivering, serotonin flowing like a river, filling limp limbs with rhythm. Beating the drums of rebellion. Together, we are strong, never alone. Music is the finest art. The world's greatest musician curated creation. Through that, we can all find freedom. The Most High is the best composer. That's why you're dancing with no composure. Invested in the richness. Floating away on vibrations. Moved by the melodies, moving in harmony. We are moved. We are muses. Music. Kiss My Black Side is a Sadler's Wells production. <laughs>